We shall say again to you if you do not appease us. Well, what is it you want? We want! Oh, no, show. Oh, what? Please, please, no more. We will find you a FOMO show. You must return here with a FOMO show. Or else you will never pass through this wood alive. Now, go! Broadcasting from Brisbane, Australia, this is the FOMO show. Cryptocurrency for the rest of us. I'm Matt. I'm Joe. This is the podcast where you'll hear about cryptocurrency in plain English. If you're excited about cryptocurrency but you don't have time to read white papers or technical presentations, this is the podcast for you. Yeah, none of that technical nonsense. We'll help you stay across the crazy world of crypto so you don't get the fear of missing out. So today we've got a bunch of stuff um, on the show. We're going to discuss wallets, uh, how to buy crypto and also look at exchanges. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're going to check in with your... Tax investments, Joe, your tax portfolio. Um, And we're also going to have a couple of special guests on the show this week Mm. um, and then discuss a fair bit of news too. There's been a fair bit going on in the time we've been away. So, yeah, let's jump into it. So this week um, there was some there's, there's rumors of um, a, a d- digital currency um, growing out of Catalan in Spain. If you've been reading the news the last week, you would have heard about the crackdown on um, on democracy in uh, in Catalonia, who's they declared independence the other week. There's a bit of controversy around that, but um, yeah, the news coming out of Altcoin today says that Danny Marco, the director of Smart Catalonia which I'm guessing is related to their tourism industry somehow or maybe their development somehow. Um, he's travelled to Estonia on multiple occasions to see firsthand how Estonia's e-residency programme has, um, has, has worked. So um, Estonia, if you haven't heard, um, run a, a re- an e-residency programme on the blockchain and they've attracted more than 20,000 entrepreneurs from uh, 140 different countries and this uh, e-residency program actually allows you access to um, government services in Estonia. And it's a really interesting idea. So, I mean, as of right now, there's no official timeline on or a roadmap associated with a, a coin coming out of Catalonia. But um, it's an interesting, interesting idea. And I mean, if you've seen how everyone, everyone of any importance in Catalonia has been fired in the last week, it's uh, quite an interesting sort of... Rumor, yeah, mate. It's just fascinating that like a country that's essentially starting again. You know, if they do actually break away and they do gain their independence, they're seriously entertaining starting a cryptocurrency as like the basis mm. for that new order. And I think that's that's quite telling. You know, it means mm. that people in power, um, especially these real movers and shakers that are that are doing all this seceding, they're really considering crypto as a really good basis to build upon. Um, mm. I saw. Vitalik Buterin of Ethereum, right. he was out discussing this with right. a couple of different governments as well. And he's been involved in the Omis Go project, which is in Thailand. Right. There seems to be a real push by some of these crypto creators to get governments on board. We've discussed this before, that it, that it may mean uh, less freedom in the wrong kind of situation for some people. Mm. But I think 
in this specific situation, Catalan is seeing this as a way to detach themselves from the Euro. Um, but yeah, no, we'll, we'll jump onto some of that more um, fear, uncertainty and doubt in the whole, is crypto going to enslave us forever? Mm. Um, so yeah, look, we there was an article that came out in Altcoin Today and it basically discussed the, the similarities between where we are in 2017 and where the crypto markets were in 2013. Right, yeah. and that was when there was this... L- crash wasn't it yeah so for those of you don't that don't know 2013 was the first year that crypto really took off a whole bunch of people got into the space there was a lot of excitement Mm -hmm. a lot of build-up the price shot way up and then at the end of it everything crashed Mm -hmm. it all came tumbling down there was the uh, mount gox yeah issue which was the largest exchange at the time it crashed it came to light that they'd been stealing a whole bunch of money they had automated bots that were trading against everyone else and making a whole lot of money and there was all this corruption and fraud and that was enough to scuttle the whole process and Mm. they say it set crypto back by a number of years and we're really only seeing that level of excitement this year in 2017 Mm. that they saw in 2013. Mm. And the, the premise of this article is essentially that the price of Bitcoin alone has increased by 500% in 2017 and it, there's a lot of the indicators that were around in 2013 and 2017. Um, there's a lot of excitement, a lot of people just jumping in on pure speculation, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. really knowing what the technology does. And there's a lot of people being told what to do, seeing gains and thinking that this is normal. Mm. So to take out from this, 2013 had a big crash that sort of set set everything back by a while. But so is the is, is this sort of suggesting that, you know, if if crypto crashes this year, next year, it's going to take a long time to recover to the same sort of levels? Yeah, I mean, this article doesn't go to that extent. They do kind of hedge their bets a little bit and say that this time it might be different. Mm. But we all know that history can repeat itself. And I think it's just good as we're getting a little bit further on into 2017 and we've seen the big ICO euphoria happen and Mm -hmm. we've seen Bitcoin go up and up and up. It's just good to remember that this may well be a bit too much too fast mm. and that things could, could pull back. And so mm. I think it's more just being careful mm. about what you do, you know, and, and not investing more than you can afford to lose. Mm. Do you think people should, you know, if people are looking at buying into Bitcoin or other, well, if people are looking to buy into Bitcoin, should they be holding a bit extra on the event that the, in the event that the price does drop so they get a cheaper buy later on? Yeah, I think you've always got to have a contingency. Um, I think it's good to have in your own mind what you're going to do if the price drops quite significantly mm. because you can have your everyday, you know, we talk about dollar cost averaging, you mm-hmm. can have your everyday amount of money that you spend weekly on crypto, but I would be hoping that that's not your whole savings. You're not pouring all your savings into this space because mm. uh, just because of the risk and how speculative things can be. Mm what would be good to have is to put a bit of that money aside and say, if the market crashes, I'm going to be ready and I'm going to be ready to invest in the the, the parts of the market that I think are very valuable. Yeah, because it's... Um, oh, I saw a tweet, which I think I just retweeted today to the financial account, which was from, I think it was Nidacoin, who's saying something like, forget about the money, just follow the ideas because the money's going to follow the good ideas. If you're mm. looking at the good ideas in the crypto space... And ultimately, Bitcoin is a good idea because not only was it, it was the first, it's the you know, best branded of the lot. Mm. 
So another little uh, scare piece from uh, from one of the prepping sites out there. <laughs> so, um, there is a, an article on shtfplan.com, um, which stands for excrement hitting the, the fan. And it's basically a little bit of a scare piece against cryptocurrency. And it was more aimed for, those, uh, for that sort of prepper community where they're big on owning gold and silver and physical assets like that, which is, you know, a very good goal to have. Nothing wrong with that. An interesting critique of um, cryptocurrency, which we thought was worth sharing some of the key points. Um, so the article was supposedly by, you know, some ex-Green Beret or some, something like that. But he's saying that the United States has been using the worthless Fiat Federal Reserve note that isn't backed by any true tangible asset, uh, the United States and by extension the world. The only backing is being, you know, the full faith and credit of the United States government and all this sort of stuff. But, um, yeah, following Russia's crypto ruble announcement, uh, the author was saying that this is the calm before the storm. The governments are studying it and studying the masses to find the means to control it. And this is what you were talking about last mm. week, Matt. The, the, the author goes on to say that once the cash is eliminated, hard assets such as gold, silver and other resources will be very simple to control. Where did you obtain that gold? How did you obtain it? And is it in our records? So the quote-unquote successful employment of cryptocurrency will mean that people have been completely duped and have handed over privacy into the control of the government. And once the governments control everyone economically, they will use that control to seize other aspects of daily life that aren't regulated. They'll know how much you make, where you work, and how much you have available. Or what you think you have available, because in the blink of an eye, they'll make your crypto dollars disappear. And if you have no recourse, just as they have no accountability, if politicians steal money now, while cash still exists, think of how much they'll be able to steal when everything's done electronically. Cryptocurrency is a scam that will eventually lead to the final enslavement of the US. So that was your bit of fear and uncertainty for the week from one of these... uh, Interesting outlets. Yeah. And look, like everything, there's a bit of truth to what they say mixed in with a, <laughs> a, whole, a healthy serving, serving of scaremongering. But um, <clears throat> look, they do make some valid points. Um, I think our concern is that if central banks and governments are quick enough to get on the cryptocurrency ride, they may be able to wrest control from the decentralized system. I think what they're missing is that cryptocurrency as we know it right now is decentralized. Mm. So most of the cryptos that are out there now, except for the crypto ruble and Zimbabwe coin, um, is decentralized. It's not controlled by any one government. And the only way that a government could feasibly exert control over that is if they required you to, for example, turn over your public keys and Mm. say, we want to know what your public key addresses Mm. are, which you could elect to do or not to do. And then, obviously, they can ascertain when a lot of people join the ecosystem mm-hmm. through things like Coinbase, mm-hmm. uh, if, they're, if they're transferring fiat money into real money. But what they're talking about here is a centrally controlled cryptocurrency, which is quite different. Well, I think there, there was definitely a part of that. And they're also talking about the idea that you know every receipt mm-hmm. being publicly available being sort of another element of control mm. and and that was you know that is an interesting point being you know every transaction you do make on the blockchain is verifiable it's only of course tied to your wallet address but is it going to be that hard for a government to tie all the all the u.s government need to do get access in to coinbase's systems then they get user ids real names and the wallets that they send their currencies yep. to and then it's just pretty much a guess 
that that wallet they're sending currency to is probably theirs. Yeah, and look, it may well be that when you do your tax as well, for example, you integrate your wallet addresses. So that's gonna be scary. Which would be convenient. Nothing. I have nothing to worry about. No, nothing. Um, the, the idea that they can make your crypto dollars disappear, though, which they said at the end, I think that's mm. a little bit mm. far-fetched because mm. it's a public ledger. Um, yeah. People would be able to see that. If it wasn't a public ledger, it would be very different to the kind of crypto we could see. Mm. Um, so, look, while there's some good points in there, I think a lot of that comes down to more of a technical deficiency in their understanding mm. than anything else, a mm. bit like a... It's more of a fiction into sort of a, a realistic fiction of where the world might be these, in 20 years. These newfangled cryptocurrencies. Mm. Bloody kids trying to get rid of their gold and gold-backed currencies. So Royal Mint Gold are going to use the Civic um, token slash system. Platform platform for identity verification so as a bit of background um the royal mint which is the uk's um well her majesty's treasury um they're going to set up an rmg a royal mint gold product which is going to be traded via the blockchain so according to reuters the royal mint's going to put gold bars into its on-site secure vault which will then be digitized in the blockchain to allow rmgs um whose ownership will be recorded on the blockchain. So traders will then be able to trade in and out of RMGs between themselves. Where have we heard this before, mate? <laughs> <laughs> Someone is going to take your gold <laughs> and put it somewhere safe. Very, very securely. And then give you something for it. But trust us, it's on the blockchain. But in some way, it's a really nice idea. Like, it's just on the faith that this is actually going to be in a secure vault. And, you know, because, you know, she's got a face printed on all these coins. It mm. must be trustworthy. Mm. So um, BitGo were selected BitGo were selected earlier in the year to build the blockchain. And they've just selected Civic to carry out this scanning and verifying of documents, such as passports and utility bills provided by investors in these tokens, to prove their identities and ensure compliance with anti-money laundering laws. So Civic is uh, a platform, which I will mention now at the end as opposed to the beginning, um, which raised $33 million in an ICO earlier this year, I believe. Mm. And what their aim is... It's their, their aim is to become the trusted third-party source for securing and verifying your identity. So, kind of complicated in a way, but I think the founder used to run some startup company and then he just mm. realized there was no sort of decentralized trust system for merchants. So, he, they basically want to become like a future-focused credit monitoring service. So, they're designed to sort of let you know if someone's trying to sign up to a service with your identity. But I have, I have, it's a very small thing at the moment, but it's interesting that they've been picked up for this, you know, treasury gold thing. Yeah, look, I mean, <laughs> I, I, um, I actually use Civic to okay. verify my identity when I participated in the Zero X token sale, I think. I think right. that's who it was. And it was quite easy. It was quite simple. So what is it? You sign up? You, you sign up on your mobile phone right. and then you need to just verify that your mobile phone number is what you say it is. Mm -hmm. uh, I think you need to give them a name as well. But it all right. seemed 
pretty easy once I've done it. So it, with something like Civic, does that mean that the person that you're verifying with, so in this case is 0x, mm. does that mean that they will never see your details, Correct. but they just see that you have verified them with Civic? Yeah, it's, it's essentially a trust system where whoever is contracting with Civic trusts that Civic is doing the right thing in verifying right. these mm-hmm. identities. And the information that the actual company sees is very limited. Right. So... Data the, protection is safe and... Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. you still have to trust Civic. Um, yeah. And that's the risk is you get another agency that holds all your private details and then you just need to know that they're not going to start selling that to data brokers and mm. other third parties. And Civic does this all all via the blockchain or via a blockchain. So, And it's a tradable token as well? Yeah, it's a tradable token. I can't remember exactly where the token fits into everything. Right. But it's a blockchain that's accessible from your mobile phone. Right. And all the details are there, hashed, encrypted on the blockchain. Hmm. It's an interesting one to watch. So yeah, yeah. Um, Civic is out there. It's not one of the. It's not the, you know one of the top tokens, but it's certainly worth taking a look at if if this is a, an area in the market that you think is sort of underserved. The sort mm. of credit reporting identity, sort of managing who you are and verifying that without having to. I guess it would save you know the people who want to use it a lot of time because usually you'd have to receive passport details and things like that and scan it and mm. ver- do th- do certain checks but this does it for you correct great idea so we saw another bit of news come out and this was this was through bloomberg and it was essentially saying that months after their token sales more than 90 percent of icos still lack use cases and the article said of the 226 icos analyzed by token report only 20 such as storage auger and 10x are used in the running of their networks, according to Token Report, which keeps a database of token sales information. The rest can only be traded and are purely speculative instruments, Gallon Moore, Chief Executive Officer of Token Report, said in an interview. So what we have here is essentially we're a few months on from this ICO mania mm. uh, where huge amounts of money flowed into all sorts of ICOs with mm. all sorts of promises, and yet less than 10% of those ICOs are actually using their token in any meaningful way mm. whatsoever mm. other than a tradable asset. Mm. So it seems like the rest of them, they're just sort of a regular business. They just did ICO because ICO was an ICO. Yeah, and, and, and a lot of them, there's not even really any evidence that they're building anything or using anything. There's Some some of them have updates coming out, and there's some I follow that are, that are very much doing things, and mm-hmm. you, can, mm-hmm. you can see that uh, very clearly. But a lot of others, it's just kind of... It's all behind closed doors. Mm. The biggest one, obviously, is the Tezos ICO, right. which we saw this week or last week. It came out that the the two founding parties are fighting right. over how the money's meant to be being used and what they're meant to be doing, and they raised two hundred and fifty million dollars. <laughs> you know, so they've <laughs> they've taken on two hundred and fifty million dollars of people's money. It's ridiculous. Like, it's, it, it was unreal. It was right at that really big hype point right. and they've got nothing to show for it. They've made some promises. It's really worrying watching this trend where mm. companies are saying we've got a great idea and they're launching an ICO at that point. Mm. It used to be, even with Kickstarter and a bunch of other crowd funds, it used to be they'd say, we've worked for 12 months, we've got a working alpha or beta, mm-hmm. here it is, you can go play with it. We need now need more money to keep it going. Mm. Uh, and, that's, and that's what some of the projects have done as well. And the ones that are really 
succeeding, they're the guys that have actually laid the groundwork and then mm. said, okay, now we're ready to take on money. But the problem is, it's the other 90% who are sort of adding that. So it's like renaming whatever your company was, adding a .com at the end. Yep. Back in 99, didn't matter which company you did, add a .com and suddenly you're worth a bunch more. And it's those people, those 90%. She's sort of letting down those 10% of real sort of diamonds in the rough. Yeah, and look, if it does happen that we're in a bubble and that bubble bursts, it's going to be laid at the feet of these you know, 90% of ICOs and the people that invested in them. And so that's why we always say, do your due diligence, do your research, look at these projects and work out whether they're actually doing something, mm. whether their team's mm. real or whether they're just trying to take your money. <laughs> and... Just as a slight random, off, almost off-topic piece of news, um, there's Kazakhstan is, is set to switch their alphabet from Cyrillic to Latin. So um, from, like, briefly, Kazakhstan, um, Kazakh, the Kazakh language briefly used the Latin script um, in 1940, well, before switching to the uh, Cyrillic in 1940. And before 1929, they'd been using Arabic. But now the, um, they're looking to change from Cyrillic to Latin as part of the modernization and development efforts. So because, you know, 70% of the world's countries use Latin-based alphabets, they're really, it's, it's a really interesting move into integration and sort of stepping away from um, distancing themselves from their sort of Russian heritage and sort of trying to promote more supposedly promoting more uh, nationalism, according to Deutsche Welle. Um, but yeah, it's a really interesting interesting hmm. idea. They're, I think they're looking to get that finished by 2025. Um, new keyboards, new everything that needs hmm. to be sorted out. But um, it's a really interesting idea, and it feeds into sort of our idea. We want to be looking towards uh, emerging markets in hmm. future episodes. We're going to start talking about some of the countries that are really growing but haven't really been talked about. Um, hmm. So... Yeah, that's an uh, interesting one that Kazakhstan's doing there. Yeah, no, it is, mate. And and Kazakhstan's a little diamond in the rough. That whole area, actually, there's a lot of development going on there, a lot of mm. cool stuff going on there. And I wouldn't be surprised to see some some crypto projects coming mm. out from that area too. Mm. So, yeah, stick a pin in it, keep an eye on it. So we've had a lot of people contact us to be on the show, but we try and keep the personalities and offerings as unique as possible. When Dan contacted us and gave his his individual job description, we couldn't really refuse him a semi-regular spot on the show. Mm. So Dan is an ICO trader. He's carved out a little time, uh, very kindly, to to let us give him a call and and chat about the current state of the markets. So uh, we're going to give Dan a call and see what he's up to. Glad you called. Things are off the charts here in the ICO world. Off the charts. Off the charts, Dan. Joe, we are seeing green across the board with ICOs right now, Joe. It's pandemonium here on the crypto floor. We've got buys coming in from everywhere. Left, right, center. Everyone wants a piece of this hot property, Joe. Hot crypto property. That's right, Joe. Hot crypto cakes cooked up right here on the blockchain. We're revolutionizing, iterating, and encrypting all in one, Joe. Wow, what specifically are people buying right now then? So many ICOs, Joes. We've got Tezos. They've been dead in the ditch this last week, but the futures are exploding again. We've got Datum, the new oil. People love oil, Joe, especially crypto oil. We've got 0x, 2x. Couldn't get enough with 0x, Joe? Well, 2x of 0x. 
that with Zero X 2X. It's a win-win-win, Joe. Some people say it's a scam. I say scared money don't make none, Joe. Uh, do, you, do you have any hot scoops for us on potential upcoming projects, Dan? Well, I used to be involved in energy trading back in the day with my friends at the California Grid. So they've told me that Enron may be making a comeback. Yes, Joe, you heard that right. Enron coming back with an energy ICO. I'll have more on this soon, Joe. So it's a pretty busy time for ICOs, Dan. Pretty busy? <laughs> Feel this phone, Joe. It's stoking hot. I haven't put it down for four hours. I don't know what the bill would be. I don't care. These ICOs are liquid gold. Liquid gold flowing through the sweet subterranean landscapes of the blockchain underbelly, Joe. Hang on a second. No, I said 500,000. 500,000 great coin, 300,000 Waffle coin. Sorry, Joe, I'm back. Why do you want to know? Uh, do you have any recommendations this week for the uh, for the armchair punters, Dan? <laughs> Apart from putting everything they have in these certificate tokens, Joe, look, I've heard a rumor that Blockbuster may be coming out with a video higher ICO. I've got exclusive rights to the pre-pre-sale. For your lucky listeners, Joe, I'm offering exclusive futures in this coin at a 30% discount. 30%! The most pre-sale participants in the video higher ICO will get is 20% discount. This is a once-in-a-lifetime, never-to-be-repeated offer, Joe. We're talking blockbuster on a blockchain. Wow. So, can you tell us what the purpose of this coin is? Doesn't matter. Don't care, Joe. There's money to be made. Hang on. No, I said sell, George, not buy. When that fake site story breaks, the price will plummet. Sell. Sorry, Joe, I gotta go. You know how it is. Video higher ICO. Get in. Mate, you um, you found out about some Bitcoin trade groups that might be manipulating markets. Yeah, this week, that was didn't really you? weird. I was on an internet browser at you know eleven p.m. at night, and I was just I stumbled across some website called Chain Group, and it basically um, shows you a bunch of Bitcoin trading groups. It's very difficult to tell if they're a scam or not, but it's a very scary idea. So essentially, you could join one of these groups, uh, and you could just put in you know a hundred dollars. You've got to leave it there for half a year or something like that. But essentially, these trade groups take your money and every other investor's money, and they basically pull this money together to manipulate the market. So what they would do is they would put in a bunch of buy orders on just a random coin that they pick, put in a bunch of buy orders, and just wait for the market just to start pushing the the prices up. So then as the prices get pushed up to unrealistic heights, then they'd use their trade bots just to initiate the sell just after the value peak has been hit. And according to like one, um, which is called CloudShare, they've claimed to make an average of about 7.87% per provocation, as they call it, which is, you know, this is, it's an unregulated market. So these people are just doing what would be totally illegal on the stock exchange, for example. But they can just get away with it. Mm. And it's kind of scary that, you know, some traders are probably making, buying buying something that's being provoked, selling in the same day, thinking that they're a genius trader, and really it's just some other group behind the scenes manipulating mm. the, the, the currencies. Yeah, yeah. And we'll talk about it a bit later when we talk about exchanges, but it just, it just highlights the need to be really careful when you get into this stuff because there's guys that have been doing this for years and years and years. They know these markets inside and out. And they do not have your best interest at heart at all. And if you go in unprepared 
and you go in just reacting on emotions and, and what you're seeing the market doing, mm-hmm. which a lot of people do. They see the market going up and it's that fear of missing out, mate. You know, um, mm. They buy in and then they get left you know, holding the, the bags when it all crashes. There's that, isn't it? There's that phrase from you know, American traders going to parties and stuff like that. If you can't spot the sucker in the room, it's you. Yeah. So, yeah, be careful. So, mate, you found a, a pretty cool tool this week. So, this website is called CoinGecko, and it helps you find useful currencies to invest in based on an interesting scoring index. So, um, in their own words, you can find it at coingecko.com. And in their own words, CoinGecko lists the world's top cryptocurrencies and ranks them based on key aspects such as developer activity, community, liquidity, market capitalization, and public interest. So, what you can do um, when you go to the CoinGecko site... It's, it's a really cool-looking site, isn't it? It's, yeah, it's pretty slick, and they've, it's, it's simple, and it's pretty effective. So, um, they've got pages and pages of all of these different coins. But what you can do is you can select the type of coin, the hashing algorithm. So, you could, you could look at just coins that need to be um, you know, that are proof of stake, for example, where you'd keep your wallet open and accessible to the network to keep transactions going. Um, and you can just you know, make some filters to get the, the right sort of coins you want to look at. And it will show you, you know, how much activity the developers have made on adding code to repositories in the last week. Um, they'll show you sort of how much the community has been talking about it, how much community interest there is, whether there's much public interest, whether it's appearing, uh, whether it's got a, loads of search results in Bing and Alexa. And sort of a, a total index of all of them. And it's really quite interesting. So it can help you spot some sort of factors that suggest that some coins might be better than others. What are, what are your thoughts on this all like that? Yeah, man, I, I, it really intrigues me. Uh, part of our investment strategy, uh, for those of you guys that don't know, is we like to look at the coins that have lower market caps, that have like a good team, uh, some good development going on, and maybe some use cases that haven't really been mm, fully realized. Mm, mm. And what this lets you do is add a whole bunch of different filters to essentially filter away a lot of the noise and and create a shortlist. And you can add a whole bunch of different variables to it to create this whatever shortlist you want. And then you can save those shortlists so you can look at them later. Mm. Um, And it's just, it gives you access to a lot of information that the mainstream sites Mm. don't have. So yeah, I I really like it. If it's... If they keep improving it, I think it could be a really, really useful investment tool. Mm. And I just recommend, look, if you think you're investing in a coin, just go and look at it and mm. and see what else is in that area and do a bit of research around that. And um, it's an interesting follow-up on um, on-chain FX mm. that we were talking about last week, which is a really interesting tool with some, some, some cool little metrics. There are a lot of different sites around that do do similar sort of things, but they've all got their own little twist. And um, but, well, you, yeah. I mean, you could use it with you know, use on chain effects and CoinGecko mm. side mm. by side. I think because yeah. they both look at slightly different areas. Mm. But yeah, no, there's there's some great stuff out there, and hopefully they keep it up. So yeah, you can find that at CoinGecko.com. The link is in the show notes. How's your tax return going, Joe? God, it's a pretty exciting time to be alive. So um, I, I got a tax return from the government who returned my very hard-worked cash to me. Um, must have been a bit of a misunderstanding, but yeah, they got it back. Um, so yeah, I got Don't some... Don't tell anyone. 
<laughs> so, um, yeah, so I got some money back and I decided I was going to sink it all into cryptocurrency just to watch it all disappear. And I've come up with a short list now of a bunch of different coins. Um, but the one I'm really excited about is called Monetha. It's a really interesting idea that has the potential for it to be a competitor to PayPal. And what Manitha is, is it's a payment gateway which lets merchants um, add a plugin to their e-commerce or online shops to accept crypto payments. Right. So if I was to go on to like a decentralized marketplace and I wanted to buy something, mm-hmm. instead of clicking buy with PayPal, yep. I could click buy with Manitha. Yeah. Yeah. So this will let you um, purchase with any Ethereum-based token. Now, I, I think it's over a thousand different tokens that are on Ethereum. I can't remember off the top of my head, but mm. you'd be able to exchange any of those. Um, via, well, you'd be able to pay with any of those mm. when you're doing your online shopping. So they've built it so that they can sort of get any, any sort of uh, online merchant to be able to integrate that with their site. They've picked, they've got a minimum viable plugin for, for now, which is, you know, integrates a buy button with your website. Um, so, that, you know, if you're running on WooCommerce or Magento, which are two of the biggest um, systems for uh, e-commerce today, um, they, uh, they're just trying to build the market first. So they're trying to get all the merchants on board. Mm. Um, and, yeah, so right now they're just building, uh, they're building that out. They've got a full e-commerce gateway early next year. Then they want a full e-commerce solution and an exchange to Fiat in 2018 so that merchants can exchange their cryptocurrency directly to their bank accounts. Mm. Um, right now, that's actually built in so that it can be done automatically via an exchange. But um, then they're looking to implement a trust system in early 2019. So not unlike you know eBay's points system where you get, you know, I think it's points for good ratings and things like that. Mm. So they're looking to build that in as well. Um, and then they're looking for that to work fully in retail in 2019. But it's a very interesting idea. Yeah. Um, so essentially, if you've got Ethereum in a wallet somewhere, you would just have a Manetha account and you would just associate that wallet with the your Manetha account? Is that how they're proposing it works? I believe it's even easier than that. I believe you don't even need to have a Manetha account. You could, it's literally just so that you, you can just pay with Ethereum to a certain wallet and that will get to the... Um, get to the merchant right okay basically the with current the financial systems it can take merchants up to two weeks to get their money Mm. for a transaction whereas with a system like manitha it would be two minutes yeah which is you know a a massive step change and that's really where crypto needs to come in it needs to be much easier Mm. and it needs to just blow the other solutions out of the water so Mm. it's an interesting idea now but you know it could just be that paypal just plugs a billion dollars into investment and development and they could just blow this out of the water but it's a great idea right monetha are there any plans for it to be anything other than ethereum or is it just ethereum for the foreseeable future well they have actually said that um there are these big problems with ethereum scaling now there is supposedly an update that ethereum is going to make to you know reduce all of this sort of um, congestion on their networks all these sort of problems but what the what the Manitha team have actually said on their FAQs page, they've said that they're blockchain agnostic, which means you know they don't necessarily have to accept just the work with just Ethereum. They could work on any smart contracts mm. platform. So they they just want it to work. I think it's sort of they want to be a crypto payments company, and it's an interesting idea. But you know there are downsides. I mean, 
it's not super easy to purchase Monetha tokens at the moment. Mm. But, um, yeah, you can check out their website at monetha.io, and that'll be in the show notes. Um, there are a couple others that I was watching as well. I've got a short list. I'll post those in the um, in the show links as well. EOS, IOTA, Swarm City, District 0x, Zcoin, Basic Attention Token, Civic, Quantum Resistant Ledger, Stellar Lumens. And there were some run- runners-up as well. So I'll put those in the show links so you can have a look at the, um, the way that I'm going to lose most of my money. Cool. Oh, hang on, hang on, mate. The, the phone's ringing. Give me a second. Incoming call from... Hello? Hello? Do you wish to accept this reverse charge call? Yes, all right. Patching you in now. Mitt, 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 are you there? Mitt. Yes, 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 Jordan, I'm here. I'm here. Thank, thank goodness. Um, what, what's going on, Jordan? What, why are you reverse calling me? I'm in the uh, socialist paradise of Venezuela. Um, I made a bit of a blunder, Matt, and I've been given temporary accommodation in the uh, Caracas Penitentiary. You're in jail. Well, not to put too fine a point on it, Matt, but th- th- there is one way you could explain it, yes. How'd you wind up in jail, Jordan? Well, Matt, after seeing what crypto could do to uh, for Zimbabwe, I thought, you know, what other basket case country could really use a crypto coin? So I realised Venezuela could actually do with one as well. Oh, right, so you made touch with the Dash guys who are already working over on that over there, did you? Dash guys? No, Matt, I went straight to the Venezuelan government themselves. I, I still had a few connections from my time in the Russian Socialist Commune before the uh, USSR collapsed, um, yes. Right. And how did they receive the idea of a crypto dollar? Well, they received it very, very well, actually, Matt. Um, I explained to them that it would solve all of their problems, of course, and gave them my personal guarantee that if it didn't work, they could uh, punish me however they saw fit. Okay, so I'm, I'm assuming there were issues then, Jordan? Well, Matt, none of them were my fault at all. Um, first, you know, the Venezuelan government said they wanted to keep a huge pre-mine for themselves. Um, they've seen a, what a lot of ICOs and coins have been doing for these founders, and they figured they could get a piece of detection, huh? Well, that doesn't sound very socialistic, Jordan. Well, Matt, there's, there's not actually much socialistic about this country. Oh, I don't mean that. It is an incredible country. Everyone is equal. They're listening, Matt. They are listening to us. Okay. Uh, noted, Jordan. So, what happened after they asked for the pre-mine? Well, Matt, I, I got them in touch with our Somalian friends who were so graciously taking care of Zimbabwe coin. These are the same Somalian friends who Mugabe is still waiting for these, his inheritance money from? Yes, yes. The very same, Matt. Right. Okay. So, so what happened then, Jordan? Well, everything was going fine. Uh, Venezuela paid them for the initial payment in Bitcoin, of course, and they were expecting delivery of the coins by the end of last week. But they stopped communicating with the government. It seems they may have, may have run off with the money, huh? Run off. Well, yes, they, uh, they took the Bitcoin payment, and then we haven't heard from them since. I could only say that they were working hard behind the scenes for so long before, you know, one thing leads to another, Right, okay, so they've run off with the money. I, I mean, I bet the Venezuelan government wasn't impressed, were they, Jordan? Oh, no, they, no, no, they weren't, Matt, but I figured I could fix it, so I told the Venezuelans not to worry, I'll fix it, right? But after a bit of Googling, I made my 
own wife's token. It was incredible, Matt. You would not believe how easy it is to make currency out of nothing. I should have been doing this years ago, huh? Well, I, I don't know about that, Jordan. So you made a working product then? Well, yes, Matt. The, the problem is no, no one actually bought it. Oh, so no one wanted a state-issued waves token made by a South African journalist with no technical expertise? Well, surprisingly not, actually. It turns out that if you ask everyone to rely on a state, but you don't give them the technology or education to interact with the blockchain, no one can actually exchange their currency. Some did show up, but uh, they seemed to think it was some sort of new form of cash. Okay, so it didn't take off then? Well, at this stage, Matt, the, uh, the Venezuelan government is kindly holding 99% of the currency. And that's why you're in prison? Precisely. Okay, Jordan, how long until you get out of prison? We've, I mean, we've got a whole bunch of other places you're meant to be going and reporting for us. Oh, well, I'm not sure, Matt. Apparently, the, uh, the South African embassy is currently in talks with the Venezuelan government to get me out. Uh, this is my only phone call, in fact. What, wait, wait, you used your only phone call to call us? Uh, yes, Matt, I figure you could actually let all my subscribers know that uh, they won't be getting any hot investment advice for a little while. Oh, I'm sure they'll be very upset about that, Jordan. Oh, it can't be helped, Matt. You know, these things just happen. Right. Okay. Is there anything you want us to tell your, your family? Oh, actually, yes, Matt. I, I have quite a lot of Zimbabwe coins saved up from Mugabe. It's uh, all on my computer at home. If you just tell my wife that my private key for my Zimbabwe's uh, coin wallet is uh, Mandela Resource 101... Uh, yeah, if you could do that, that would be great. Hold on. All right, Matt, I've actually got to go. Uh, safe travels, eh? You, you too, Jordan. So if you're totally new to the blockchain cryptocurrency space, um, every, every few episodes we want to go through some crypto basics, just covering some of the groundwork. Um and how these systems work. So if you, you are um, an old hand at cryptocurrency, you might want to skip this section. Um, and you can see the links and the timestamps. Yeah, so we put timestamps in the show notes. So you can actually just open it up in whatever podcast player you're using and just have a look down and you'll see when this section starts and when it finishes and you can just jump ahead. Um, so you don't have to sit through it. It may still be useful. We find that doing this ourselves it actually helps us explain crypto to people that aren't really tech savvy um so you may still find it useful listening if not for yourself than for some of your friends but yeah if you are new and it's your first time listening we just recommend that you go back through the first couple of the first couple of blockchain basic segments they're in episode two and four and we're also going to have a section on the website soon as well mm-hmm. for all of this stuff it's all going to be in one place in there'll the be a little bit more detailed there'll be images and videos and uh, yeah. So for those of you just getting started, the biggest question once you know what things do is how do you get your hands on some crypto? So by far the easiest way to get in is to buy Bitcoin. Um, most other currencies are actually measured against Bitcoin and it's the easiest to get a hold of. So once you have this Bitcoin, you can get other currencies. Yeah, so the question then is, how do you get the Bitcoin? Um, by far the easiest way for people to get Bitcoin, if you're just getting in, is to get it through a place called Coinbase. So Coinbase is like a digital asset exchange, and it lets you um, 
it lets you convert your um, your regular money and pay via debit card or via bank account if you're in the United States. And you can buy Bitcoin uh, and Litecoin and Ethereum on the Coinbase platform. Yeah, so they do add a transaction fee on top of that, uh, but it's really simple. It's it's a really easy to use site and it's reliable as well. So we normally recommend Coinbase just because it's the easiest. Mm. There are other services out there, uh, but we'd recommend doing your research um, and really having a bit of a look around mm. to see if there are is a service that would fit you better. So one of our listeners, Mike, actually gave a suggestion to anyone who's in Australia. There's one called brightonpeak.com. We haven't tried it yet, but there are different um, digital asset exchanges which charge different fees. But yeah, as mentioned, as Matt said, you know, Coinbase is definitely the easiest one to get into it with. So you can find the link in the show notes for that. There is also the option of using local Bitcoins, uh, which is actually a system that lets you physically pay someone with cash and they transfer you the Bitcoin there in person. Hmm. Um, We'll link that in the show notes. It's a good option if you don't want your crypto buy-in being tracked, but obviously you really need to do your due diligence and you need to be careful with that Hmm. because at the end of the day, you're just trusting that this person is giving you what they say they're giving you, Hmm. whereas with Coinbase or any of the other services you're contracting with a company Mm. and once you buy your bitcoin it's going to be held in your wallet with coinbase but it's important to note that this wallet is one that's held by coinbase and not by you Mm. yeah so there's essentially three options once you buy your bitcoin in in coinbase and it's put into the wallet you can keep it in Coinbase, you can transfer it to your own wallet, or you can transfer it to an exchange. Now, keeping it in Coinbase is an easy option, but it's not really the most secure option. Transferring it to an exchange will go through a little later in the piece, uh, but for now, we'll talk about the third option, which is to transfer it to your own wallet. So a wallet is where you can hold and manage your crypto. The The idea of a wallet has been around since uh, since Bitcoin. If you've been in crypto any length of time, you've probably heard of it. But what is a wallet? Yeah, so a wallet is essentially a program that manages all of your public and private keys and the currency associated with them. So it's how you can interact with your little corner of the blockchain. Without a wallet, you wouldn't be able to generate your own public and private keys, which you'll remember from our previous blockchain basics. That's essentially your username and your password. So, for example, if you buy Bitcoin, there are a number of wallets. So you can install them on your device, your laptop or your, uh, your mobile phone. Uh, and w- when you boot it up, it will ask you to set a password. Now, we'd always recommend that you set as long a password as possible. Um, there's uh, a good technique is just to put a bunch of, like, write a sentence with, you know, punctuation, apostrophes and spaces between the words. It's a bit longer, but you can remember it. And if you try and make it obscure and not like, you know, to be or not to be, that is the question. If you make it something random like horse jumping on goat straw, that might be a bit more secure than to be or not to be. The big point with your public and private key, and we harp on about it a lot, is don't share your private key with anyone. That private key needs to stay with you and you alone. Don't do what Jordan Cronier did and give out his private key to someone else. The reason for that is because anyone that has your private key can access your currency on the blockchain. So once you've set your private key... Your wallet will then generate your public key, which is the username that you can send Bitcoin to. And 
other people call the uh, public key an address. Mm, that's right. So it's the address that they can send the transaction to, like your bank account number and sort code, that mm. sort of thing. Exactly. Yeah, so if you want to send Bitcoin to your account, you go into Coinbase, and then Coinbase has a section where you can send your Bitcoin somewhere else. So you would put in your public key address and then hit send once you've put in the amount you want to send. Your Bitcoin transaction would then be sent to the blockchain. And if you remember from a previous episode, you just then have to wait for that block to be ready for adding to the blockchain. And then a miner will add that to the blockchain and your Bitcoin will then go from your Coinbase address to your other address, Mm. your other account. So transactions can take um, often up to half an hour with Bitcoin. Um, if you buy, for example, Litecoin on Coinbase, you can receive your – when you transfer, the transfer speed will be much quicker. And essentially, once that's done, if you're running a wallet, you will see the money, <clears throat> the Bitcoin or whatever it is, come into your wallet and appear there right in front of your eyes just like it is expected to. So the key points from some, from so far is step one, you set up a Coinbase account. You can find the link in the show notes. Step two is you buy your cryptocurrency, your Bitcoin uh, with your debit card um, once you've you know verified your ID with Coinbase. And then step three is um, you get a, uh, create a wallet on your PC or on your mobile phone and you grab your public key. You go back to Coinbase you put in your public key, which is your account number, essentially, into Coinbase and say, I want to send the Bitcoin there. Hit send. Eventually, the Bitcoin will be sent from Coinbase to your wallet. Now, the big thing with these wallets is there are several types of wallets and not all wallets are created equal. So, first, we've got what's called a software wallet. Hmm. What's a software wallet, Joe? So it's a program on a device of your choice, and you install it, and you can interact with it on your computer or uh, laptop, uh, mobile phone. And you need to keep it updated, and you need to keep it secure. Um, So some of them are internet-based. So, for example, Ethereum has MyEtherWallet, which lets you do everything in a browser. Um, And some of them are are more software-based, like... Um, if you were to get the official Litecoin wallet or um, any of these other currencies, they'll often have a wallet for those specific currencies. You've also got some other software wallets, like on your phones. Um, you can get wallets such as uh, Coinomi, which is available on Android, or you can get wallets like Jax, J-A-X-X, uh, on iOS. So you can hold multiple cryptocurrencies in one wallet. What's that called? Is that called a... Uh, a multi-sig wallet? Multi-sig wallet. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's essentially, it's still a software wallet, but they've built software into that wallet that can hold more than one cryptocurrency. Hmm. That's all it is. Right. There's some issues with them um, because you're essentially built using a catch-all device hmm. and you have to trust that that device is going to stay updated. Some of the features that you could use with a dedicated wallet might not be available yeah. for a multi-sig yeah. wallet, but... It is convenient, mm. uh, and we'll go into some of the security elements later on, um, just so you can manage your different wallets and manage the risks with them. So then we've got hardware wallets. So they're separate devices, um, and and uh, t- t- tell us a bit more about them. Yeah, so a hardware wallet is essentially it's a separate device. It's usually shaped like a USB or a Wi-Fi modem or something small, and you can plug it into your device. And 
what that allows you to do is you can load your public and private keys onto that device and it stores your keys inside that device's memory. Now, the keys with this is it stays offline. So once you've loaded your keys into it, which hold your currency, you can then take it out and no one can hack it when it's not plugged in. It's not connected to any network. It just it can you can sit you can put it on a chain around your neck, you can put it in your wallet, physical wallet, mm-hmm. wherever you want to put it, but you only plug it in to do the transactions themselves. Mm. Now there's a couple of popular options for this. There's what's called a ledger, uh, ledger nano is one of the ones you hear about mm-hmm. a lot, mm-hmm. or there's a trezor. Uh, we'll link them in the show notes. We'll we'll put links to them, but they're essentially USB like devices you can plug straight into your mm. computer, load your crypto on. Uh, I believe they handle around about eight or nine currencies each. Uh, so they don't have mm. a lot of the, the smaller ones, but the big ones they handle. Mm. But essentially, you just need to picture it kind of like a, a debit card and a security fob from mm. your bank all rolled into one. Right, so it lets right. you kind of manage both of those those things at once and it takes away the risk by being able to keep it offline. So we've got software wallets, we've got hardware wallets, and then we've got paper wallets. Run us through those. What, what are those? What are paper wallets? Yeah, so a paper wallet is basically just what it sounds like. It's it's storing your keys on physical paper completely offline. Now, mm. what it's not talking about, although you could do this, is just writing out your whole private key and your public key and putting right. that away. You could do that, but yeah. there are actually sites that let you uh, print out a bit of a printout that has your public key, your private key, and uh, a scannable um, QR code. QR code and a few other bits and pieces just to make it as easy as possible for you to access that wallet from wherever you want to access it from. Mm-hmm. And they will actually, you will just say, I want to create a new Bitcoin wallet address. Mm-hmm. And then they will say, okay, take this offline now, create the Bitcoin or crypto address offline, and then print it out, close all the pages, clear your cache, connect it back up to the internet, and you're done. And so... They take away that element of risk where something has been exposed. So, if I had a paper wallet, so I'd printed out a paper wallet which has a public key and a private key. Now, I'd use that, I'd taken that public key and I'd sent some money from Coinbase to my paper wallet, to that address on my paper wallet at mm. least. Um, so, how would I send things from my paper wallet elsewhere? How would I manage that? Yeah, so you would still have to. get some kind of interface okay Okay. so you would still need some form of wallet to be able to send something anyway so this is more just for storing right so it's more uh, like a backup sort of thing it's kind of like a backup um but it can just be used for storage itself you know you could say i want to hold this bitcoin and put it away for five years and you generate a paper wallet completely offline that is still an address on the network because it's it's Mm -hmm. There's wizardry that goes on behind the scenes. It means that the system recognizes the address, even if it's been generated offline. And then you could come back in five years, open up a wallet and put in your public and private key into that wallet and then be able to access your, right, your crypto. Right, right, right. So are there any recommended programs for, um, for generating wallets? Yeah, so there's a, there's a site called walletgenerator.net. Um, we'll put the link in the show notes. It's really easy. It prints out a really nice looking 
paper wallet that you mm. can actually print out. It gives you fold lines. It gives you all sorts of mm. bits and bobs. Some of the yeah, some of these in. paper wallets I've seen them. They do look really flash. Yeah, I mean they the, do look like what they're worth. They do, and, and the, the downside is they're un, they're a little bit unwieldy, and at the end of the day, they're paper. Mm. So if you lose it, you've lost it. So mm. you really need to make sure that it's backed up, and that's why you see a lot of people actually holding their Bitcoin in hardware wallets in like bunkers mm. and things because mm. they believe that's the best way to store them. Yeah. So, so which which is best? What's the best option for wallets? So we got software, hardware, or paper. Yeah. So look, if you're just beginning, we'd probably recommend a software wallet or a hardware wallet. Software is good if you've only got a small amount of crypto or if you're entirely sure that your computer is secure. Mm-hmm. Hardware is better if you're not confident about your system security or you want to be able to carry your keys around with you to keep them safe. So I'd recommend hardware and software. Paper, I think you wouldn't want to look at going to a paper wallet unless you're a bit more familiar with how everything works mm-hmm. and you have some really solid storage procedures in mm, place mm, mm. but a software and a hardware wallet will serve you pretty well software is probably better when you're just starting out especially if you've only got a low amount of, of crypto that you're going to be putting into it but a hardware gives you a bit more surety that you can actually carry those keys around with you mm. and you're not worried about someone hacking into your computer if you don't hold your private keys you don't earn your money so you will we've said it before we'll say it again with bitcoin with cryptocurrency you are your own bank you lose your private keys, you've lost your money. And if you don't hold your private keys, you don't hold your money. So when you're storing it with a very happy intermediary like Coinbase, you know, they are insured up to I think two hundred and fifty thousand US dollars for each person, which mm. is great. It's more like a bank in that sense. But still, as long as you don't have the private key for your wallet, you don't own it. That's right. So there's a few common questions that come out of all this wallet talk. Um, the first one is, does the wallet take my currency off the blockchain? What do you say? And the answer that, to that is no. Um, as long as you have your private keys and your public keys, you can always get at your crypto. A wallet is just a manager for your keys. It interacts with the blockchain so you don't have to do it directly, which is quite complex. Um, and it's easier if you back up your wallet. Right. And, and why should people be backing up their wallets, Joe? Well, the block, blockchains get updated regularly. So um, a wallet that isn't updated to the latest version of the blockchain runs the risk of orphaning your currency off an old chain. So that's an especially, especially a risk with proof-of-stake currencies such as PIVX, Blackcoin, Lisk, um, which give you rewards for, um, for keeping your wallet open to the chain. And yeah, if you haven't updated, you're running on the wrong sort of mechanism that everyone else is. Um, so yeah, and while you can recover your currency eventually, it can be a lot of hassle. So what we recommend, I think we mentioned this last episode mm-hmm. as well. If you purchase a cryptocurrency, subscribe to email updates, get their newsletter. Um, so, so that will make sure that you get updated when you need to update your wallet because mm-hmm. When you're in charge, you've got to keep your wallets updated. That's right. Sign up to newsletters. As much spamminess as that seems like, you've got to do it. So how would I keep my money secure? Yeah, so keeping your money secure, I mean, our general tips would be try to avoid mobile wallets where possible. And we get their convenient. If you want that convenience, that's great. Uh, but at the end of the day, your mobile devices are quite unsecure in a lot of ways. I'm not worried. (laughs) 
Um, we would say install a fresh operating system if it's possible on any device that you're putting it in on. Just back on your when you just said you just said try to avoid mobile wallets where possible. Imagine it's just like your regular bank account and your regular wallet. You don't, like imagine your mobile wallet is the same as your physical wallet in the mm. real world. So you don't take around every single cent that you have in your bank account in your pocket. Just take around your carrying change in your mobile wallet. Keep your real stuff elsewhere. That's right. Yep. So the next thing is uh, you want to install a fresh operating system if possible on, on whatever device you're putting this on. I understand that that might not be possible for a lot of people. So if that's the case, you want to have a firewall, have antivirus, have malware protection and run them regularly mm. and run everything before you put, um, put your crypto on your computer. Mm-hmm. Uninstall whatever programs you don't need. Just do a good cleanup before you start putting money on your computer mm-hmm. because... This space is full of hackers. Mm. Um, it's worth installing uh, if you're if you need a good antivirus and you don't have a, have one. There's some free ones. Uh, Bitdefender is a very big name. Uh, Sophos, I believe that they have a free version, and Kaspersky is um, a well reputed brand uh, until more recently. But um, Kaspersky also have a good free product. Mm. And malware bytes malware for, your, bytes. for your malware protection. We'll, we'll link them in the show notes. Um, use a VPN. We, we use, there's a couple that we can recommend. Uh, we'll put them in the show notes as well. Uh, a virtual private network, which is what VPN stands for, essentially means that your, all your internet traffic is going through a server somewhere else. Hmm. So it's just an added step in the chain. Uh, and the, anyone trying to get into your computer would need to follow that chain one step further mm. and a lot of the time that's all you need to do is just make mm. it a bit harder make it uh, a little bit harder so it's else. like creating a tunnel between here and Switzerland Switzerland and then for all intents and purposes you're browsing from Switzerland very useful mm. Um, store your private keys either written down or in an encrypted password manager like LastPass or KeyPassXC we will link them as well in the show notes but you don't want to be storing them in like a Chrome password manager or you um, know in, in a Word document somewhere on your computer. Mm-hmm. You really want to have them somewhere that's either encrypted or completely offline. If you are storing them offline, please put them in more than one place because you never know when you're going to lose something. And there's horror stories of people mm. losing their entire Bitcoin wallet. Yeah, because there amounts. was that guy who left what was it, fifty thousand bitcoins in a PC in yep. like a dump in Wales. I'm sure everyone read that story, but you just don't want to do it. No, um, and yeah, look, consider a hardware wallet like Ledger or Trezor. Uh, mm. Like we've said, they will help to keep your money secure as well. So, are there any good mobile wallets? Yeah, like you said before, mate. There's um, <laughs> there's Jackson Coinomi, which are the two bigger names. Mm. Like we've said, they both have their drawbacks. We you try you want to try and keep your crypto off mobile as much as you can. Mm-hmm. Like you said, just keep it as you change money. Mm. I like having a bit on my mobile just so I can say to someone if they're interested, hey, look, install you know the Pivx app, which is what mm-hmm. I normally use. I'll send you one, mm. and you can literally get them to install it in a minute. Mm-hmm. Show them how easy it is and how quick it is. Getting their first and, cryptocurrency. Yeah, and it's something practical. Sometimes you've just got to see money appearing in your wallet from someone's wallet next to you, and it's gone through no one but the interwebs. Mm. And that is fantastic. Yep. So exciting. And sometimes you just need that yep. to suddenly for everything to click and be like, that's what cryptocurrency is. That's right. So 
with um, mobile wallets, they've all got their drawbacks. And yeah, as you said, keeping them off mobile as much as possible. But while they're good for holding your currency, you know, how do you how do you get? Let's say I'm holding, you know, some bitcoins. What's the? How do I get some other cryptocurrencies? Assuming I have Bitcoin, how do I buy a different cryptocurrency? Yes, yeah, so you've really got two options when you're trying to get something else other than the big three, like Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Litecoin, which seems to be what most fiat to crypto exchanges will offer you. You can either use automated exchanging or you can use a real fully-fledged exchange, okay? Um, so the first option is automated exchanging, and it's really the easiest way to change your Bitcoin into something else. And there's services out there like a service called Changely. Now, you've used Changely recently, Joe. How, mm. how did you find it? Changely is the easiest way to exchange from one cryptocurrency to another. I mean, you know, you can mess around with the exchanges and you can mess around with all these things, but the interface on Changely.com, it just goes, what do you have and what do you want? And you just put, I have one Litecoin and I want, and you can just select from a list of 30 different cryptos and it goes, great. Okay, so you're going to, if you put in this one Litecoin, you're going to get X number of thingamajigs. You click next. Then you go, okay, which address do you want to send this wallet to? Then you put your public, you put your wallet address in. That's where I want this to go from. And it goes, great. Just send your one Litecoin to this address and we will send, as soon as we've received that, we're going to send that to a new one. So, you just select what you want. It's so easy. So mm. Changely, that's why I think it's amazing. So it's near instant. You can watch the process as it happens. Um, so after you've clicked, you've sent your Litecoin to Changely, you can watch their webpage refresh in real time to say, okay, we've received that. Now we're exchanging. Then they exchange that for you and then they get that sent to your other wallet. So mm. it's really like if you're if it's if you're new to this whole thing, Changely just makes it so easy. Yeah, so it's it's a really basic process which is really good, but there's obviously a trade off when you're using something automated like that because you're exchanging at the rate that they determine and not the rate that the market is at on a on a bigger exchanges. There's better deals to be had and more coins available on a real exchange. However, the learning curve for these is a little higher. So what are these real exchanges? Well, just like it sounds, it's, it's somewhere that you can exchange one currency for another with a whole bunch of other users. So with an exchange, an exchange has a number of managed wallets for you. So let's say the exchange has 100 different cryptocurrencies for sale. You have 100 different managed wallets. Is that correct? Correct. So you'd have 100 different managed wallets which are held by this exchange. And you can basically, um, you would usually send Bitcoin um, to your exchange wallet address then from there, you can exchange to these other cryptocurrencies. Um, you can buy and sell crypto from other people, and the exchange takes a moderate fee um, for the privilege. Yeah, so the, the most popular and varied exchange these days is an exchange called Bittrex. It's got all the large, medium, and some small cryptocurrencies as well. The most trusted smaller cap exchange, at least in my opinion, is Cryptopia. It runs like Bittrex, but it specializes in the smaller market cap coins. But look, there's a number of others. There's Kraken, Bitfinex, Liqui, CoinExchange, and a thousand others. Um, there's a newer one called Binance, and it seems to be gaining a lot of popularity as well. 
And you'll normally see on CoinMarketCap or whatever you use to do your initial research in a coin, which coin is listed on which exchanges. So how do you use an exchange, Joe? So firstly, you need to sign up. Now, <clears throat> usually to transact over a certain amount, the threshold, you'll need to verify your identity. So you can't usually buy in with um, your traditional currency, US dollar, Australian dollar, British pound, on an exchange, which means you'll need to buy your Bitcoin elsewhere. So, for example, like Coinbase, and then you send it to your managed wallet on the exchange. So uh, so Bitcoin is like the, the default currency that these mm. exchanges all use and speak to each other between. Exactly. It's like the, the standard that everything's measured against. Mm. So... But when you first sign into one of these exchanges, it can be a little scary. It's a little intimidating. Mm. So um, give us an example of, of, of how this would work. Yeah, yeah. So we'll use Bittrex as our example here because it's likely that that's the one you'll be going to first because it, it just has so much on it. When you get into this exchange and you've, you've created your account and you've been verified, you'll load in and you'll be greeted with this huge list of markets and top coins on the front page. Ignore these. What you first want to do is you want to find your wallets page, and that's in Bittrex, that's up to the top right, and you want to look for a way to send your Bitcoin into the managed wallet. Once you get onto that wallet page, you'll see a whole bunch of coins with a plus and a minus, and Bitcoin will normally be at the top. Plus means send in, minus means take out. So once you've hit plus and you've said, I want to receive Bitcoin, and you've got your address, and then you've gone to Coinbase, and you've said, please send this amount of Bitcoin to this address... It'll eventually come in and you'll see it in there in your account. After you've got that in there, you'll then want to search for the coin you want. So let's say you want to look for FOMO coin. Hmm. You'll go up into the top left-hand corner, click on markets and type in FOMO coin and it'll pop up. Once you click on that, it's going to pull up a new window that shows the current price in Bitcoin and a number of other metrics. And this is where all the action happens and it's called the trading screen. So you'll become quite familiar with this screen. Um, and some of the things you'll see are the graphical timeline of recent buying and selling. Um, you'll see the last price, the volume, the amount of transaction, the volume of the transactions that are taking place, the, the current bids and asks and the, the, the sort of the number of different bids um, for each and the 24-hour highs and lows. The key part is the buy and sell order section and the order book section below it. This is where you're going to be able to put in orders to buy and sell at whatever price you ask. Now, be careful here because it's all denominated in Bitcoin. So what I'd recommend is on a separate screen or off to the side, you open up another window or tab so you can actually convert your Bitcoin into your local currency just so you know what you're putting in and how much that equates to. <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> because sometimes you can get a little bit caught up with the decimal places and you're not actually sure that you've got it right. So you always want to check that especially as Bitcoin gets more and more value, the decimal places are going to become more and more important. Mm. Now, you'll see below the buy and the sell, the bids and ask sections in the order book. That's what you really want to look at. If you're looking to sell your Bitcoin for another crypto, the bid section will tell you how much other people are looking to buy that crypto for and the asks will tell you how much people are willing to sell it for. So how should I put in my buy and sell orders? Yeah, so look, if you want to sell quick, your best bet is to put in a buy order slightly above the bids, but slightly lower than the ask, so kind of in the middle. If you want to get it cheaper, you can bid less and wait, 
However, you've got to remember that these are orders you're putting in. So all you're saying is, I want to sell it this much or I want to buy it this much. Mm. Will someone do that for me? Mm. Um, so someone has to physically agree to fill your order. Mm. I've gotten in trouble before where I've put my buy order too low mm-hmm. and then the market's just shifted mm-hmm. um, and it's never gotten back, especially if Bitcoin's price is lifting because mm. you're putting the price in, in Bitcoin. Um and I've been left and I could have just spent a tiny little bit more and bought it at that price mm. instead of trying to get it a fair bit lower. And it's much the same as when you're dealing with regular stocks and shares. Mm. You know, it's, it's a very, very similar system to that. So, yeah, someone's got to agree to fill your order. And, you know, sometimes the exchange – well, can, with crypto, can exchanges cancel your orders after a certain while if it's just unreasonable? Because that's what happens with me in the actual stock exchange. Yeah, so you can you can – set it to cancel at a certain right. time, but Bittrex defaults to this thing called good until cancel, right. which means that your order will just stay there for yep. as long as it yep. stays there. Now, that may not be a bad thing, especially if Bitcoin price is moving up. Sometimes I've come back and been like, oh, I'm glad I didn't buy that when I did because my Bitcoin's gone up 5% mm. and the, the thing I was trying to buy went down 5%. So it's not the worst thing in the world sometimes, but that money's tied up and it's not doing anything. Um, so look, when, you, when you're looking at these buy and sell orders and the market volume, it's a good thing to look at the graph. Uh, mm-hmm. Bittrex has a graph there and all the other, most of the other exchanges have a graph as well. You can zoom in and out on that graph and, and see where things have been. It gives you a bit more perspective. But it's really important when you're doing this to remember never to get the fear of missing out. So as you start using this more, tracking prices and reading news, and there there are going to come times when the price is surging and everything is telling that you've got to buy. And this is rarely, if ever, the case because markets go up and down. I mean, rash money is is quickly wasted, and I've definitely, definitely done this before, just throwing in orders because it looks like it's going up. But you've got to keep in mind that you're in an environment that people have spent years in and you can't hope to outthink them in the first few weeks. And as we said earlier, if you can't spot the sucker in the room, it's you. Yeah, because at the end of the day, what you find that happens is the people that have been this the longest are usually the people making a lot of money from the new people. They know that everyday people are getting excited about crypto and they're coming into the market. So a lot of these older hands try and inflate the market to make people think it's going to go up and then... They sell at the top and the market deflates and the people that have bought in are left buying in at a higher price and the market shifted without them. The true key to using exchanges, if this isn't your day job, is to pick an amount you're willing to invest per week and then put that in every week. Hmm. What you want to do is watch the price. If you see an opportunity, then buy in. But if the price doesn't drop, simply keep to that day and say, I'm going to buy in on that day unless I see a really good opportunity. Hmm. Yeah, and if the price is soaring, we suggest you know give it a couple of days uh, for things to settle down, because slow, steady investment almost always wins. Mm. Matt, so I have a question for you: What's some good best practices if I'm looking to make an investment in cryptocurrency? Yeah, so look, the first thing I would definitely say is research the projects that you want to invest in. Mm. We're big believers in investing in what you believe will be great. And I think the best way to do that is to research it, to see mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. Other, what teams are doing, who has a working project. Another big thing is don't buy into the hype. Don't get FOMO. Um, mm. If this is 
like the dot com bubble, a lot of projects aren't going to survive, especially a lot of the ones that have been hyped. Mm. Uh, because normally, what that means is they've got a better marketing team than they do a technical team. Yeah. Um, and normally, it's the guys that really want to make money that hire the really hotshot marketing team, aka C. Tezos. Mm. Mm. Um, you want to find currencies with use cases and a point of difference. Mm. So you want to find something that is quite unique and is going to stick around when all the copycats fail. When you're in Bittrex or whatever whatever exchange you use, zoom out on the graphs and see what the price has done over mm. the time. Mm. Um, one of the best things you can do is read and listen to the experts in the space. There's a lot of material out there from a lot of experienced people. But at the same time, be careful of the people that say they're experts who are really just trying to sell or shill a particular investment mm. because usually they're just trying to make more money for themselves. Mm. Now, we will do more on exchanges in the future. Um, but if you want more help in the interim, please just join us on Slack. We're more than willing to help uh, if you just come in there and you've got some questions. Mm-hmm. Jump in. Yeah. So, the, to summarize, getting into cryptocurrency, step one, set up a wallet on your phone or your desktop with... With whatever software corresponds to the coin. Yeah. Step two, buy on Coinbase with your debit card after verifying your, verifying your identification. Step three, use Changely or a more complicated exchange to exchange your Bitcoin for whichever currency you want. And step four... Send that from that Changely or your exchange to your wallet. Correct. Then it's yours. And where possible, you want to. It's tempting to keep your stuff in the exchanges, but where possible, it's better to get it out of there because you just never know what's going to happen. Spot the dog on. That's right. So look, all this will be up soon on our website. Um, you can get to Coinbase, Changely, etc. from there if you want. Once we've put it up, uh, we'll also put the links in our show notes. So if you do use any of those links to sign up, you will be able to support the show. Uh, we get a little bit of money and you get a little mu- bit of money as well if you click on the links. Oh, I'm literally so excited about these guides we're going to get on our website. <laughs> we are we have been developing these guides, which we have been talking about for weeks. And we're just going to have the a really useful place for you to send your mates to if they're new to cryptocurrency, don't know how to buy it, don't know how to get it, don't know how it works, don't know nothing. Send them to that page. It's going to be amazing. So look forward to that in about couple weeks from now they're going to be ready and they're going to be good and they're going to be simple and useful fomo.show check us out so that's about it from us today mate another another episode in the books um while we were recording this there was actually a thunderstorm going on and so if you do hear any thunder in the background that's because it's not you it's us storming that's right you can find us at fomo.show and you can also jump on our uh, our Slack, our on web instant messaging service at fomoshow.slack.com. You can follow us on Twitter at the underscore FOMO underscore show and at Facebook at facebook.com slash the FOMO show. That's it for us here at the FOMO show. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Matt. And I'm Gio. And as always, remember, no FOMO.
so the question was, you know, somebody said, you know, how did Jordan initially get past over the Venezuelan border? I thought the uh, Bolivians were on his case, but uh, no, it wasn't. All you need is, a, you know, a case of beer, a bit of toilet paper, end of the world sort of economy. Wheel better, a whole wheel better for them. Bright-eyed and, you know, wide-eyed and, and, and red-faced and <laughs> they want to buy the first crypto. <laughs> Um, White-eyed and red-faced, that's the phrase, yeah. What, what is it? Is it bushy-tailed or something? Bro- that's broad-eyed and bushy-tailed, which is different. That means oh. you're like... Yeah, so they essentially... <laughs> <laughs> that's it for his firm. <laughs> Help me. <laughs> so how can I make wise decisions then when I'm investing in crypto, Joe? Well, wow, that's a good question. <laughs> Very glad you've asked. Uh, this is the FOMO show. <laughs> so, how can I make some good investment decisions? <laughs> <It's> just- <laughs> Mr. Madoff. <laughs> Please <What>? tell the court. <laughs> I, I just buy I just buy stupid coins, man. Like <laughs> point like i haven't even researched one i just bought it i was like i'm buying it like what is it don't care i'm buying it stupid (laughs) stupid i must be the type of guy who just goes to a shop and just buys just i don't know french baguettes he's not even hungry you're a wizard harry (laughs) i'm a what (laughs) a wizard i'm a thumping good one at that Old if everyone gets cryptocurrencies, our gold will be worth nothing. Back in my day, you used to be able to go down to the shop and exchange your gold bullion for a Mars bar and a packet of chips. <laughs> a packet of chips. <laughs> a packet of chips. <laughs> so another piece that um, was quite interesting this week was, um, all right, all right, settle down, Matt, settle down. <laughs> A packet of Pringles. <laughs> Two bitcoins. <laughs> Two bitcoins for a packet of Pringles? Ridiculous. <laughs> um, <laughs> and okay. now you understand why this is the world's smallest cryptocurrency podcast.